as simple as it is, I would want them to know that God is close, though you're, you know, you don't want to get out of bed, though you're in your car crying, or you're at a workplace and you're hurting because you felt the loss of a child or a loved one, wherever you are, God is close. He's not only close, but He's there. He's with you. And I just, if I could make that real for somebody, the way that God made it so real to me, if I could just speak that, you know, that scripture, that God is close to the brokenhearted. The questions that seem to bother most people as it relates to God is, why do such awful, painful things keep happening to people, especially to the good and the innocent? And how are we supposed to respond to a loving Creator God in situations that hurt us the most? Crystal and Travis Buck had just such an experience when their first child, John Clayton, died after only four days of life. Today, Crystal shares how God changed her and her husband and what she came to understand about the answers to those hard questions. Welcome to A Stronger Faith, a podcast that places you inside the experiences that changed people's faith. I'm your host, Stacy McCants, and we pray that God speaks to you through today's conversation so that you can know Him more richly. Today marks our 40th episode, a milestone we never imagined when this podcast began just over a year ago. This small project of A Stronger Faith has grown into a ministry heard in every state and on every continent on earth because God has moved in and spoken through so many spiritually faithful people, most of whom we had no idea existed just a year ago. We celebrate God's movement and faithfulness in answering prayer and are thankful for the work He's doing. The number 40 has consistent significance in Scripture, mostly in times of trial and testing, a theme that tends to run through every episode of this podcast. With that in mind, and as 2021 winds down, we'll wrap up our first season with this 40th episode. Hopefully this will give you a chance to catch up on previous episodes you may have missed while we continue to work on season two, which has already started. We'll be back with a new season in just a few weeks, so please pray for us and continue to send us ideas for guests through our website at astrongerfaith.com. We're excited for what's ahead. Today's episode is remarkable because God brought a wonderfully spiritual person to share what He showed her about dealing with the things that hurt us the most. Listen closely, and please meet Crystal Buck. Crystal Buck, I met you for the first time today, and I can't believe that. <laughs> Live in the same town. I had somebody come to the website. I don't know which episode it was after, but somebody came to the website and said, you got to talk to Crystal Buck. And so as I do, when I get those in, I research where they are and you're like in my town. And yeah. I was like, oh. And then I talked to my wife. She's like, yeah, she owns this store that I used to go to uh, downtown that then she redid it and it became another store uh, in, in the neighboring town. And I'm like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> and so I, I had to, 
refrain from going in there and shopping the last few days just because uh, I knew we were going to do this. Right, right. So welcome, Crystal. Thank you so much. Thank I, you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've done some research, and this is a topic that we've talked about a few times, but when I talk to you on the phone, in true God fashion, a completely different side of things began to bubble up. And I'm like, I can't, I can't wait to get her in here. I think it's going to be a, a really powerful episode. And I feel like that this whole thing, from what I've researched and my conversations with you, it's going to be talking about some tough stuff, but it's truly, it feels like to me, and we may get to the other end of the conversation and it might be, no, that wasn't it at all, but it feels like it's about transformation. Right. And it's the transformation that takes place when God gets real rather than just kind of being an, an ideal. Absolutely. And I love that conversation because I think, I feel like people are stuck and can get stuck in the ideal, especially in our culture where it's the norm. It's accepted. Most people, I wouldn't say most anymore, but a lot of people go to church and do churchy things and that sort of thing. But something has to happen that turns faith into something that's real. And you begin to understand that it wasn't just a memorized thing or a thing that you inherited. And so that's kind of how I've viewed your story. Definitely. Yeah. I would say through the most difficult thing that I've ever been through in my life. And I know that my husband, Travis would say the same. I mean, really our family, you know, we were Christians before I was, seven years old when I accepted the call. You know, we went to church. We did all of those things. But when we went through the loss of our baby, our son, our firstborn baby, our firstborn son, it all became real. I always tell people it's the Bible came to life. The stories that we read, not only before, but even during that time and even after, it made sense. We could relate. I, I just became completely overwhelmed by it, by the truth, by the promises, the stories. You know, you hear so many stories in the Bible and growing up as a child and you hear them and you hear them and you know them. But the only way I can describe it is that it became real. It came to life. Yeah. Um, I was now living some of that. Mm -hmm. um, I could relate to Mary, you know, just that one example, I could relate to Mary and her loss of a son and never before had that ever crossed my mind. You know, you hear that, you read that, that's everywhere. But it, I did not have that perspective. Yeah. And when you think about scripture, as you mature in your spiritual life, this has been the case for me. It's not static. It truly is alive, and it takes on new understanding and new meaning. Maybe not every time you read it, but there are things that happen in your life that all of a sudden your eyes get opened to a completely new way of understanding something that you've read a million times. And I, I can imagine this probably being one of the most magnified versions of that for you guys. So I guess Travis grew up in a similar way. I mean, you guys from small town? Not necessarily. No, no he's, he didn't. He's, uh, no, we actually 
we're about an hour apart. Yeah. Um, we met after high school and he started going to church with me um, in my hometown. And so he didn't grow up. He did not in the he church. Did not. Yeah. He did in small not. town, Alabama. It's, you know, not everybody does, but a lot of people do. A lot of yeah. people do, and he did not. And so um, just a few years before we were married, he had been going to my church and my hometown with me and my family. And he had been saved before, but he then wanted to you know, become baptized. And just to really start it, we really started, I guess, growing or improving our walk, I guess. I don't really know what the right word would be um, there, but we were actively seeking the Lord and trying to do His will and trying to do what um, He wanted us to do. Really? And um, we were actually both baptized again. Uh, we joined our church there in my hometown and were baptized by our preacher. And uh, my mom was as well. So Travis, myself, and my mom were all baptized on the same day wow. together just a, a few years before we got married. And so... It's always obvious to me looking back, and I try to tell people this now because now I know when God's working in our lives and what He's doing, I can't quite figure it out. But I've had enough experiences now that I cannot confidently say, I don't know what's going on right now, but I know in a few years I'll be able to look back mm. and I'll definitely see you know, what God was doing there, even though I don't understand it right now. And it's it seems... Just crazy. I know that that he's working, and um, if it's his will for me to know, he will show me that over time. But I can look back now and see, you know, even just through that and how he was working on our lives then and how he was preparing us for what was to come in so many ways. He was preparing us, and um, I, I wish I would have known that I was being prepared to be used by God in that way, but I, it would have been different yeah, <laughs> if I'd have known. I guess so, but you know that is one of the cool things that is a great tool that He gives to us as we mature in our faith. Uh, I had an episode a few weeks ago. Jeannie Ann Love talked about. She goes through that periodically, where she looks back and becomes aware of God's presence in things that she really wasn't considering him in at the time. And she does it for the confidence that it gives her today when she's in a place of uncertainty. Definitely. It's like, has he not been with me? And when I check back over time, it's like every time. <laughs> it's like Definitely. a perfect track record and he's very faithful. So, yeah, it's cool to be able to look back on those times when you thought you were just surviving Definitely. And uh, I agree with that uh, and the confidence and the confidence it gives you, but also a peace that it brings and knowing, you know, what you've been through and how he's brought you through that and how you have felt his love through that. And uh, it just gives you a peace. So it's a calm peace, but it's a powerful peace. Yeah. So when did you guys get married? We got married in July of 2010. Um, in my hometown, and we're moved back here in Northport, where we're from, and live. And we were both just working, and and you know we were a new young couple, but we were still going to our church and and growing in that, and we're really wanting to become more active, you know, with the church. I think as you mature um, in your spiritual life, 
that's something that happens and and we wanted to and looking back I can say that was God working in our lives and Travis started a business stepped out on his own the year before I believe it was and then I never intended to go into business we decided we we wanted to start a family and I wanted to do something that I could have my children with me doing and the job that I was at I loved it but it just would not be what I felt like we needed or I needed I should say I really want it was very important to me to have my children with me and I remember going in and turning in my notice and it was difficult because I loved the place I worked and the people there and know the families and it was on April Fool's Day when I turned my notice <laughs> in. Um, they were like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. hilarious, Crystal. <laughs> um, that was interesting. On uh, April Fool's Day of 2013, I'd, I turned in my notice, and I'd actually, as I mentioned earlier, I had formally established our business, um, Everlasting, uh, which is a God-given business in so many ways, which was March 27th of 2013. And so... Turned in my notice then, and I actually did not leave the workplace until the end of July that year. So I gave a really long notice because I wanted to be able to help them, um, if they would allow it, for me to train someone. And so I left at the end of July, and uh, we were actually became pregnant in July with our first um, baby, our first born son. Um, so I was at home. After that, I had left the job and I was at home and we were working on the business and we're set to really open the door, so to speak, in December of that year, um, just the way that everything worked out and, and opening it. And so I was just at home preparing for that and was pregnant and I was excited to be able to have... My baby. That's a lot me. going on at the same time, though. You're trying to open the doors of a new business, and you're rolling through your second, third trimesters, right? Well, yeah. So we, so I had a perfect pregnancy up until the day our little boy was born. Life was going really good for us. We were growing in our walk, and we were trying to, um, you know, start this business and grow my husband's, which was new as well, and. We were about to start a family, and just for me, it really seemed like life was going good to my standards. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes yeah. we have this kind of image of how we would like for things to go in the order that we would like for them to go in, and kind of like we have the control over it, and um, we it's always hard to 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 say that um but like i said earlier we had a perfect pregnancy up until um our little boy uh, was born suddenly i remember he was born on a monday and so on sunday before we had driven an hour to my my hometown mm -hmm. our church and our preacher whom we love dearly married us baptized us has been there uh, for us through the best and the worst of times for us, he was preaching about how every Christian has a testimony. And I remember exactly where we were. If you're facing the front, we were sitting over to the left. And I can't remember if we were on the first or the second row. Because we usually sat on the second row, I think. But for some reason, I think we were on the first row. Maybe it just felt like we were. This is 
Clearly not a Baptist church, right? It is. <laughs> then you must have got there really late. No, we, uh, for some reason. Uh, I, I grew up in the Baptist church, and it was a race to the back. Did, so, well, uh, yeah. yeah. So we, we've kind of done both, I think. That's good. Maybe you're just a really good Baptist. <laughs> but we were not there on time, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, go so ahead. I'm that's sorry. That's not us. That's fine. So we, um, I just remember that day, he started pretty early in the message about how every Christian has a testimony. And when he initially said it, it was like it just hit me and I was just absorbing it and just soaking it in. And, I, you know, and he was likely throwing out some questions about like, what is your testimony? And everybody has one. And if you're a Christian, you have a testimony. And I started thinking about what mine was. And so, you know, I kind of was going back in time and trying to think about what my testimony was. And all throughout the service, like it just started just it was almost consuming. It was overwhelming. I was trying to figure it out. I really wanted to figure out what my testimony was because I knew I was a Christian and he was saying that every Christian should have a testimony and everything that I could think of that I thought was my testimony, it just didn't seem like it was. You know, I'd I'd gone through some things, but I was still young then and I just, uh, I just didn't think that was it. You know, everything that I kept thinking about, I was like, no, that's not it. That's not it. And so what was neat, looking back now, I can say that it was neat how we drove an hour to church and we drove an hour home. And Travis and I had that time to to talk. You know, we had that time together alone. We'd only been married three years at the time, and, and it gave us two hours every Sunday to be together and to talk. And on the way home, I, I even remember kind of where we were. And I remember even asking him, like trying to kind of just converse and talk back and forth about, you know, what the message was about and what our testimony was. And I, I, we just could not, we didn't have anything. We could just say, this is our testimony. And this is. Uh, yeah, testimony. That's, a, that's an interesting word. because it's, it's one that's used in, wor- in church quite a bit. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, what really is a testimony? Right, and and you think it's got to be something that you've gone through this uh, really difficult thing, and and come out on the other side, and and God was the one who delivered you, and I guess that's probably the case in a lot of instances. But as I think through it, it's almost like, what is it that has caused you to have a faith that is real, and you don't have to survive a fall off the Grand Canyon and God miraculously heal you or go through the death of a loved one or, or whatever else it is to be there. Your story on how you came to a real faith is whatever it is. And it sounds like what you were being challenged with, the question might have been, how real is your faith? Have you, have you had, do you have a faith that's tested? Somehow. Absolutely. And that was another thing that I, you know, our preacher preached a lot about was, and it just seems like all the time, if he had, you know, if I were to tell you he had one message that I know about or I remember, and he said over and over and over, was about um, if you don't have a solid foundation in Christ, and when you go through those difficult times, because you will and they will come how your faith will be tested. And if your faith is not standing on solid ground, you know, it will be shaken. 
And I can always remember him sharing that. And he was right. (laughs) He was so right. And so just that Sunday, you know, I'm sitting in church, driving on the way home, trying to figure out what my testimony is. Um, I was pregnant at the time. We were about to start a new business and family was doing well. And I remember even just, you know, in a few days before that, it was Thanksgiving and just had this overwhelming feeling. We were getting ready for Thanksgiving. It was on a Thursday. And I remember getting ready for the day for Thanksgiving. And I remember I had just this overwhelming feeling. It was a heavy feeling. It was a dark feeling, just kind of in the pit of your stomach. It just kind of had a bitter taste in my mouth. It just was like a Oh, I, I could not describe it. And I remember saying to Travis, because I felt like I needed to say it. And I told Travis, I said, do you feel like something's going to happen to me? And of course, I don't think he understood it because he didn't know why I was saying that just out of the blue. And he didn't know what I had just you know, felt. I just, it felt like death to me. Really? That's what it felt like. So this wasn't this wasn't some sort of physiological condition like I, I became nauseous or my head started to pound or or I got um, clammy feeling or whatever. It was a spiritual feeling. I think it was both. Yeah, I do. Um, so I was pregnant, and of course, my baby was in my belly. <laughs> yeah, you know, and-, um, and if I were to describe it on a physical level, I would say it was more in my stomach. Just a sick feeling, a the only way I could describe it is it felt dark, heavy, and death like. And I didn't know how to describe that because I it just, you know, it really happened out of the blue. But I had been thinking about just how things seemed to be going so well and so good to, to our standards. And I always like to point out to our standards, you know, what what we what we consider good. Your expectations, your hopes, right? Definitely. And I remember him just looking at me, and it was just like, why? Like, why would you say that? You know, I think it caught mm-hmm. him off guard. And I just kind of, I remember just kind of shaking, like trying to shake it off. And I, I just don't know. Everything just seems so right. It just, things seem too good to be true, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. Uh, but that was on a Thursday. And then on Sunday is when I sat through the church service and trying to figure out what my testimony was. And the very next day, our little boy was born. Suddenly, unexpectedly, I was 23 weeks and four days pregnant. Mm. And that is so early. Very early. You know, it was our first one, so you just don't know a lot about just pregnancy in general. But yeah. we had just a few weeks before had a perfect um, anatomy scan, I believe is what they call it, and nothing, nothing to indicate um, anything wrong with our pregnancy or anything. But um, I actually drove myself to the doctor's office that morning. And um, I'd called her once, I believe it was over the weekend, and just had some symptoms and wanted to talk to her about, but it wasn't anything, you know, any reason for me to come in or anything like that. So I remember, I believe it was my just normal appointment, and I remember driving myself there, and it happened pretty quickly. Um, Like I said, I, I went from 
driving myself there to being there. And after that, I remember a lot of things, but it's still, you know, kind of blurry because I became so sick. And looking back now, I was in labor, you know, yeah. um, didn't know that. Gosh. And so Travis drove me from the doctor's office to the hospital. And I remember just being so physically sick that I couldn't even, you know, they were telling me that I would need to get in the car to go. And I was in my mind thinking, like, there's no way like I can't even get off this table, much less go to the car. And I believe maybe they got me on a wheelchair and wheeled me down because there was no way that I could have, you know, walked myself anywhere. And so drove drove me to the local hospital. And, you know, that was earlier in that morning and just a few hours later before four o'clock, our little boy was born. And so it all happened really quick in just a matter of hours. You know, our life had just completely changed. I mean, the birth of a child completely changes your life anyway. And I don't think that's something you can ever prepare for being a parent, but much less we were barely halfway through. We were still, you know, doing all the parent stuff and, you know, what you do to prepare for a baby and, you know, the nursery and all of those things. So we were really right in the middle of it. And so we went from that to now we were parents, not only parents, but to a very tiny baby boy, mm, yeah. just a fragile little boy. But on all accounts, he was perfect. There was nothing specifically. They they tell you a lot of things when your baby's born that early and that little and that fragile. You know, they start throwing out statistics pretty mm, quickly. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that. I remember just kind of basically letting it go in one ear and out the other. I just, um, you know, I really felt confident that, you know, you hear all these stories about babies who are born early and they have these miracle stories and how they, you know, push through and they they come out of the hospital, you know, with some time. And, and I was ready to do that. I, I thought that's what we would do. I thought that would be our story. I thought he would push through and we would bring him home, at, you know, several weeks and months later and um, we're just ready to to be there for him and just do everything that we could. And I really felt like that would be our story. And so I know that a lot of times you hear the term and I don't really like the term, but you do hear it, um, which is the age of viability. Yeah, I've heard that a Which lot is recently. about the 24 week mark mm-hmm. and we were not there yet. But I still felt, I still felt like he was going to make it. Sure. Um, and so, how could you not have hope as a parent? Right, right. And I, I remember, I was still sick some after he was born. But I do remember some people from our church coming and some friends. And I remember after he was born, the the door they had opened the door and they were preparing him to take him to the NICU. And I remember just saying to them so that when they rolled him out of our room to the NICU, it would just pass by them just a little bit. And I remember kind of really yelling, but trying to call out to them and tell him to look at my angel when he was born, to just see him as he went by because I didn't, you know, that's one thing as a parent, you're so proud of your children and you want people to see them 
And for me, I think even though it was a really difficult time and place, I still had pride as a mom and I wanted people to see him. And I remember just calling out to them and telling them to see him, to look at him as he went by, even if it was just a glimpse. That was important to me. And so a few hours after that, I remember going to see him for the first time in the NICU and really see him because, you know, typically when a Things go right, and a baby's born, and the mom gets to hold him. You know, we didn't have any of that. Yeah. Um, they basically immediately started trying to prepare him to take him to the NICU. And I remember when I first saw him there in the NICU, and Travis was with me, and we were standing there. All I could say, all I could think was, how do people, how do people, not believing God. How do people not see him? Like when you see a life come just, you know, born like that, I think it's, it's a all moment <laughs> in time. I, I uh, was able to witness a baby be born when I was a senior in high school. And I remember then I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know what to expect. I was just in awe. I was just in complete awe and I, I felt that way again when I saw him. But all I could think was like, how do people not believe in God? Like, look at this precious little life. He was 1.7 pounds, just tiny baby, but just perfect. I mean, you know, fingers. And um, mm. he even had wrinkles on his little forehead. And he already had hair and, you know, his little legs and little toes and all of those things. I just could, I was just in awe by God and just how people could not believe. <laughs> it was just amazing to me. And so we spent the next several days with him in the NICU. And, um, you know, they tell you things. I think they called it a honeymoon phase. They try to prepare you for some of these things and how it's a roller coaster. And, I, like I said earlier, I just kind of let it go in one ear and out the other because I was just did not feel like that would be our story. And that I guess that's what I, you know, my hope was for something else. And that and was, I, would, I would think you guys would have to be really in the moment right there, too. It's like we're not thinking <laughs> weeks or even days down the line. We're trying to get him to survive today. And what can I do? And my prayer is for now. And I, w- I would think you'd be really in the moment. Definitely. So they start telling you that, you know, the first few days are honeymoon phase, I think is what they call it. And, you know, the the babies seem to be doing really well. And then they they don't. And then they go back up and they're down. They're up and down like a roller coaster. And so the first few days, I felt like he was doing about as well as, as he could do, given his age when he was born and weight and everything. And then, then we had really probably our first point in time of his life when he, I guess, really became really sick. I don't really know how else to describe it. Which So John Clayton was born on a Monday, and he passed away on a Friday. And we uh, buried him in my hometown on Sunday. Um, so that's the timeline of things really after he was born to when he passed away. Some of that's a little blurry to me. 
I do remember some things, but you're just going through so much, just physically, emotionally, spiritually. It, it, you're tired, you know, on top of that. I would think that. the hormones would be out, way out of whack given what's gone on. Definitely. And when it's gone on. Right, right. And you're, you know, you're in this hospital and. Um, and you're trying to recover physically and every other way too. Right. And dealing with something as heavy as this, I can imagine that would be a very blurry. It was definitely. Uh, I do remember, I believe it was the next day, so it would have been on the Tuesday. Could have possibly been on Wednesday, but I'm pretty sure it was the next day. So where our room was, we could look out the door and see the door where the Nikki was, and he was the first little incubator there. So I could almost see, not necessarily him, but where he was, and they usually keep a cover over them when they're just kind of resting and everything and if they're doing something with them or something's going on of course they take that off and so I remember if I could look there I'd already kind of told myself if I saw the the blanket over the incubator I it was almost like you could relax type thing and I remember seeing that and I was just I remember standing at the door and just trying to process everything and just I just remember a power um, it's the only way I can ever describe it. <laughs> I can't describe it as anything else. Maybe a shock um, that I felt came through me, and it came from above. <laughs> um, to say it didn't go from the ground up at all or anything. It didn't come from beside me or anything. I just remember that power from straight up directly, and like it just shot right through me like a, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say lightning. <laughs> I just maybe like a laser type thing. I really sometimes I wish I could describe it better, but it was a power. And that's the only way I can describe it to anyone is that I just felt this power and I felt um, I wanted good to come of this. And I really wanted God to be glorified and I wanted him to use our story. And Looking back, the only way I can describe it was receiving God's power to to go forward, whatever that was. Did um, you get any any words that accompanied that that were pressed on you? I mean, you kind of described a few things right there, but was there any particular message or direction or sometimes a word comes with that? Right. I would probably say um, – you know, I think a lot about Genesis uh, fifty twenty, uh, where you're, you know you intended to harm me, but you intended it for good. I I just know standing there looking towards him at that door, I felt and received a power to to do good from this, and I've known really since then that God has given me this everything everything that I need to to do what he calls me to do um, whether it's to speak on a podcast whether it's to just share with strangers you know our story everything I think that I would need to to go forward and to be able to carry on through what was to come I had received it you know I was empowered I felt, I felt power. So this feeling, okay. So this feeling was a feeling of empowerment, giving you power. It wasn't a feeling of 
and it may have been this as well, but you're talking about being empowered versus a feeling of comforted. Definitely. So it, was it comfort or was it power or was it both? I would say both. Yeah. Um, definitely a, a comfort because, you know, you're when you're going through something like that and you just have so many thoughts and emotions, it, it kind of quieted the doubts, I think is what I would say. And so that was comforting. It kind of silenced the doubts. And then the power came to to strengthen me, to um, give me the confidence that I was capable, that I was strong enough. And it wasn't that I was. Mm-hmm. It was that I knew where that came from. I know that it, it didn't come from me because I was weak. I was weak, and we are weak. Without God and without, you know, his his strength and scripture talks about your your power is made perfect in weakness. And it's one of those that I'd read before. I heard it. I knew it, but I had never No, you didn't. I had Not never like experienced this. it. Yep. I had never experienced it. And so that's why through it's been almost eight years now, but even since then just the Bible has just came to life. It's literally jumped off the pages. I get it. I understand it. I understand that scripture so well because I know how difficult, how painful, how hurtful, how ugly grief, the loss of your son. At that time, our only son, our only child, our only baby. It was almost like we lost him before we ever had him. Yeah. But I know that it's not of me. That strength comes from God, but it could not come from me. And I've had to lean on him and rely on him and beg him to just hold me up. When those four days were happening, the day he was born, I guess five days maybe, when you knew he was born pre the chart viability and all that stuff, and, and I know a lot of it's a blur because of all the things we just discussed. Do you recall what might have been going on specifically with you and Travis, but even with the family, spiritually? Did prayer change? Did things happen differently in your spiritual life during that time? Yes. Um, I, and I think some of that we, I and Travis will never know, but it's, completely changed our family and I think their spiritual walk as well and other people around us, our, our family, our friends. One thing I do remember the morning after he was born was Travis and I praying in the hospital room. And I, I remember it was a very strong, powerful prayer time between us. You know, we were desperate <laughs> We were calling to God. We had our hope in Him that He could um, help our baby and would see Him through this and us. Uh, I remember us praying that morning, and Travis was sitting down, and I remember I'm still in a hospital gown, you know, mom who just had a baby less than 24 hours ago, and he's in the NICU. And I just remember getting down on my knees in the hospital floor. Um, 
I, I remember how cold that was. It felt gross, honestly, because you're in a hospital and, you know, you're on your knees, your bare knees. I didn't care. <laughs> Though it felt cold, I was desperate and I was calling out to God. But what I remember that we had both talked about and agreed on and wanted to pray about was for God's will to be done. I remember that clearly. And so, goodness, I remember just being a a new mom and, and just on my bare knees on a dirty hospital floor, crying out to God and begging Him, but also asking Him for His will to be done. That was very important to us was to pray that his will be done. Um, And we knew that that, that's what we wanted. We wanted for his will to be done, though we still had hope and confidence that he would see our little boy through and that he would get to come home with us. That's a challenging thing for me sometimes because I sit here and I think through that. When people tell me that and – most people get in these conversations say that. And yeah, we know that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane got to that as well. He didn't say it at first. Even Jesus said, hey, if it's all right, let's let this cup pass. But eventually, your will be done. And that had to happen in that instance for sure to save us all. Okay. What trips me up a little bit sometimes is why would it be outside of God's will for that baby to make it? Definitely. Right? And and, and I know you and Travis have to be thinking that same thing. Yeah. Why would it be outside of God's will for us to bring this baby home? I don't, you know, that's something I don't think I'll ever maybe be able to understand. Um, I do know that through our son, through our baby, John Clayton, a perfect, innocent life, God has completely transformed not only us, but those around us, our family, our friends. And that's humbling, you know, that God could transform you completely through the life of your child, um, but not only the li- his life, but also his death. And so... To me, that paints, not paints, but it tells the story of Jesus, you know, that God could use his perfect son and completely transform us through not only his life, but also his death. And um, that's very humbling to me. Um, just, you know, you think as a parent that you were to to help your children grow up and mold them and make them, but to in a way know that God did that through your child to you, that's, I can't even put that into words. When he gave you this power, I, I can see it and I'm envisioning things and, and I wasn't there. Right. I get it. So I, I don't get it, but I'm sitting here listening to this 
and I know of things that can creep into your mind that are legitimate things, and I don't know if the enemy puts them there or if God puts them there because we're supposed to wrestle with him on some of this stuff. But as a mama who has – things have gone so well, and you've met a great guy, and you guys have begun a life together in faith, expecting your first child, you're starting businesses, and, and these aren't worldly things necessarily. These are things that you guys are still doing to glorify God. It's not like you're, you know, you're completely selfish in all of these things. It's not that we get rewarded or any of those kinds of things. God – God's plan is so much greater than ours. But I think there are going to be things that have to creep in sometimes into the heads of parents, mothers, anybody that adversity happens to. And in this case, you know, a couple of things come to mind. The first thing that comes to mind is, did you ever feel guilty? Did no. you ever have anything in you that said, did I do this? Not necessarily, but I can thank God for that um, because I feel like this was his way of going before me. You know, you hear about God goes before you and he goes behind you and all around you. I think there's a song about that. And I've seen that in my, throughout my life. And, and really since then, I've been able to see how God has gone before me and how before I even worry or doubt, or maybe when those thoughts and feelings are just, just even beginning, Mm -hmm. he immediately stops them and comes before them. And that was that power. You know, I was going through all the thoughts and emotions and I think they were about to even maybe begin, but before they could really even begin, God came. That's it. That's what I'm trying to get to. here. And his power came before I could really have those those thoughts. Before and, those things could take root in you. All right, so here's the thing. Because <laughs> it doesn't happen that way for a lot of people. A lot of people will sit there and marinate in unjustified guilt. Mothers are notorious for this. Mm-hmm. Okay? And it's not they're bad people. It's that they're great people. But they're sometimes are really emotional. I mean, this is one of the most emotional things you can imagine, right? So it is not unnatural for a mom to begin to question herself. And so that seed of doubt being planted in you, and I believe it's straight from the enemy. I I don't think that God plants that seed of doubt. Satan is referenced in scripture as an accuser. And a liar. Mm -hmm. And if anybody's going to accuse and lie to a mother to drag her away from God, that -hmm. would be a tool. Definitely. And when I hear that God, you felt like God brought a power down onto you, Mm -hmm. I feel like that potentially was him saying, I'm shielding you from that. We're going to capture those things and eject them pretty quickly. The other piece that could take a mom down that road is Christmas morning, two years from now, three years from now, my baby boy is not going to experience that magic and joy. Those little guys out there running around playing t-ball. I think in that sense, I've been blessed by God because he has gone before 
um, really all of that, I have complete peace. And, you know, the verse that I want to mention about that moment, that power moment, it's Genesis 50, 20, you know, where it says you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. I really felt that then before I could have the, the guilty thoughts and everything, God was empowering me and I've received peace through scripture. Well, so many, one of them, and I share this with others who have lost children um, or just have lost someone in their, in you know, their family that for me brings me peace. And I, I would hope it would for others is that our days are numbered. And to me, that one specifically, because I always tell people that our little boy lived, he really lived less than four days, less than four full days. It's easy for me to count. You know, from one, two, three, four, as quick as that. It's more difficult to count that in days when we're counting, you know, a 20-year-old, a 40-year-old, an 80-year-old. You'd have to do the math, right, for the days. But Scripture tells us that our days are numbered. And before we were in our mother's womb, God knew. He He knows that number. And for us, for our little boy, it was four days. Sadly, for us, unfortunately for us, it's a lot easier for us to count from one, two, three, four. But I received so much peace from that because I know that there was nothing I could have done. I think Travis could have done our families, the doctors, the nurses. We could have all done everything that we could. And we did. We did. I did as a mom through the pregnancy and Travis, you know, his support and our families through their love and support and you know, the doctors and the nurses who did all that they could do. And even still, nobody could have saved his life, but, but God, and he knew before John Clayton was in my womb that he would live four days. And that in those, not only in those four days, but in the time before that, when he was in my belly, that he would still through his life, though it was short in our terms, he would transform us. And so, you know, he was a vessel. Scripture talks about God using us as a vessel and working through us. And um, he definitely was. He completely, he changed our lives. Our our faith really, it became te- not only tested, and even though it was there, it's almost like it it's almost like it had just started. Yeah, I want to know more about that because you said when we talked previously that, that you guys were transformed. You even used a really good term that's found in Scripture. You said that you guys became new beings. How so? You know, and I think some of that, uh, it's almost been eight years, but I think some of that I are still learning about. We're still processing. We're still kind of now we're we can start looking back, you know, at some things that, that we were going through and what we were learning through that time. But really, and I know I've said it several times, but just about how real the Bible and God's Word and His love, how just how real everything became. Um, it completely transformed our, you know, our perspectives, our um, our compassion, uh, that was one thing I had been praying about while I was pregnant. I had actually been praying about uh, compassion and friends uh, because I was I just left a 
a job and I was really at home, you know, alone, really, and um, not from the area. Um, I'd lived there for a few years, but, you know, it takes some time to, to get to know people and become friends and that sort of thing. And throughout the pregnancy, those were just, you know, two things that I had that I can remember that I know that I had prayed about. And really right after how he answered those prayers, the um, new friends, um, even through the birth and the loss of our sons, the the number of new friends that he had placed in our lives, the compassion that I I now felt but also understood. And it wasn't just, you know, for people who had lost a baby. It was just in general because I'd really never lost anybody in my life. And so just compassion across the board. Um, you felt like it increased for you. You felt like you didn't really have the kind of compassion or display the kind of compassion for others or even feel it in your heart that you'd like to have had. But from this, you began to act in a different way that's rooted in compassion. Is that right? Because yeah. I pray for that too. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, in my earlier life, I'm not sure how many people would have described me as compassionate. <laughs> it's probably just the opposite. And I prayed hard for that. And I think I'm more compassionate now. God is, that's a miracle from God that that happens right. or whatever. But I can look up and I can see instances where I probably respond with compassion to a much greater degree than I ever would have considered before. So I want to know what that's like, how, how you were transformed as it relates to compassion. So, during that time, I just remember feeling, you know, you hear so much on the news and you see so much in the world around you and you almost get used to those things. You become a little numb. Desensitized, maybe. yeah. Yeah. And so I had just, for whatever reason, I had sensed that and I didn't want that. Uh, maybe I wasn't quite being that way, but maybe I just, I wanted to be the as far away from that as I could be. And so I remember just those thoughts and feelings bringing me to the point of praying for compassion. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned, friends as well. And it's just been amazing how God has answered that and transformed that. He's, you know, blessed us with new friends and friends that are compassionate. And um, there was a group I found out about a few weeks after our little boy passed away and it was actually called the compassionate friends and i remember going um to the first i guess group meeting that they have and i remember it for whatever reason then it may it when i saw the name it was almost like i was reminded of what my prayers had been mm -hmm. and it was for compassion and friends and the name of this group was compassionate <laughs> friends yeah. And then he also provided with compassionate friends, like outside of that, and just how he provided that in so many ways. I mean, ways I could have never even explained through my prayers. And that, you know, just I've been so in awe and so amazed and felt so loved by God and how he knows your thoughts, your heart in such unique ways and ways that you can't even explain. 
You can't even pray some of these things, I feel like. Sometimes it's hard for me, I think, to to describe to God in prayer what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, but He knows. You know, before we even pray it to Him, He knows our thoughts. He knows our heart. He knows our prayers before we pray them. And He has just, um, He's blessed and He's provided in ways that I really couldn't even pray. So I know you grieve. You'll never probably stop grieving for John Clayton. How do you reconcile the pain of grief? How do you exist in that place and be at peace spiritually? Well, again, the scripture that I spoke about earlier and how um, it brings me peace about you know our, how our days are numbered. And I was just able to reach, I guess I'd call it an okay place, a comfortable place, just a place of peace um, and knowing that that's the length of time that God had for him. And also just seeing Everything that God has done in our, our lives, our family, even now as parents, we now have a daughter and she is almost seven and how we parent her and just how he's completely transformed our walk and our hearts. And we, we've we seen God in so many places that it, he's continuously provided for us. He's continuously comforted us. He's com- consistently loved us through everything, that it's almost hard not to have peace. He's been there, and that's one thing I I, I really, you know, you hear that, and it's in the Bible, and God's near the brokenhearted and all of that, but honestly, it was just something up until about two years ago, even though you know, people had sent me that scripture, I'd read it. You see it everywhere. It's printed on things. It's probably on jewelry. It's on shirts. Every You just see it and hear it about how God is close to the brokenhearted. And even, I would say, probably six years later, that scripture came to life for me. And it was through other two other women, and they had actually came into my shop and my mom was there with me and they had just left a prayer service. It was like a 21 days of prayer thing at their church, I believe is what it was. And and they came, I think they came straight from there to my shop. And um, it seems like they almost came right to the counter, which is in the back. It's almost like they didn't even look around. And I remember them um, speaking to my mom and I and said something along the lines of, you know, they just really felt God's presence there and with us And I I just remember they said enough that it left me thinking, I'm not anything special. (laughs) You know, I haven't really done anything. So why? I I was just in my mind, like I was pondering on that and why they had said that, that whatever they said, it just left me thinking about that. Like, why, why would somebody say they felt God's presence like there and with us and and they had just left a prayer service. And so it was right after that that I was reminded of the scripture that God is close to the brokenhearted. And if I remember correctly, I had a sign there in my shop and I had specifically placed it on top of a shelf near the counter where I stood 
all the time. It's just a reminder. And even though I saw it and I read it and it was a reminder I specifically put there, it's almost like it's it was still was it real. I don't know how else to explain it. But that day when they said that and I was thinking about that, it became real. And it just was one of those, you know, I'll say aha moments. It was more than that. Uh, but it came to life. And I thought, of course, because as a mom grieving, heartbroken, really forever, honestly, I knew that I was brokenhearted and, and that God was the only thing holding my heart together. And how it said he's close to the brokenhearted. And I, I, I can't even describe it other than to say that day and that time that scripture became real to me. And I understood how not only God was near me and close to me, but how he had been close to me um, this entire time. He had been there the whole time. And though I'd seen him, I'd felt him, I understood it and felt it in a completely different way. And that scripture has even since then continued to comfort me. And I've been able to, in hopes, to share that with others so that maybe they will understand it as well. And it won't take them as long as it took me <laughs> to, to really know that and understand how he is there. It says that in his word, it says he's there and he's close. And for me, it was that he had never left. Yeah. So what does it take to lean on that at three o'clock in the morning when you've just been woken up and you get down that rabbit hole of gut-wrenching grief. Leaning into God, you know, you hear that. It probably it probably doesn't seem what it really is. And for, for me, for us, I know leaning into God, I would, especially early on, I would not describe it as something pretty. <laughs> you know, I think... When we prayed, you know, in the hospital room and I was on my knees in the hospital floor and just calling out to God, same thing at home, you know, just I would not say that leaning into God then it's it just sounds pretty, <laughs> you know, it sounds easy, like you just lean, like if you just leaned on somebody like that's so easy to do and it's it, but, somebody that's not in a fire can do that fairly easily, right? <laughs> yes. Um, it it was, um, I would say, not easy. It was not pretty. Uh, it was more than difficult. It was what leaning into God was more, you know, like digging into God, calling out to God, begging to God, pleading to God, being on your hands and knees, crying tears, tears that seemed they would never stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was as if... Your body is just literally crying out, and you can't stop it. It's beyond your control to stop it. Um, it's just on your, literally, your hands and your face to the ground, just begging God to help you to help you understand. You know, I've heard some people calling it. You're kind of wrestling with God. I I would not say that's what it was, but it leaning into God was, though it was easy to do, 
it was hard to do. <laughs> it, it just, um, I know that we were drawn to his word. I know that I was very early on. I was just desperate to not only see and read what his word said about life and death and babies and heaven. Because when you're going through that, though you've heard these things, you know, through church and all of that before, when you're going through the fire, like I need to see it for myself. Like I need to read it again. I need to read it over and over and over and over. But, you know, leaning into God in that way, just going to his word and reading over and over and over what it says and then talking to him about it and praying to him about it. And prayer is one thing that was difficult because I can't even describe the the pain that you feel through the days after and the months after, weeks and months after. And I remember I would just just cry and just almost moan and just in pain. It was a physical pain too, not just, you know, an emotional pain. I could not even pray. I was almost just exhausted, you know, from everything. And it was as if I almost couldn't pray. I wanted to pray. I didn't know what to pray. Like, what do you pray? You you just, I just prayed to God to save my baby's life, but I also prayed if, for his will to be done. And he died. Like, what do you pray? Like, I don't know what to pray. Like, how do you pray? Like, what do I say to you, God? I would, I think that was probably some of my prayer was, God, what do I say to you? Like, I don't know what to say. Like, you know my heart. You know my mind. You know what we've gone through. You know everything. I don't know. I, I don't know anything right now. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to ask for. I don't know what I need. You do. But I remember I somehow, I wish I could remember exactly where Maybe it was just through my my reading and his word was a scripture about how the Holy Spirit knows our prayers through moans and groans. I yeah, believe he, is. he intercedes for us. And I remember finding that scripture and it was just like, that's it. That That's what I've been doing. That's what he has been doing for me when I could not pray. And I was thinking these things and feeling these things and I was just literally moaning and groaning because I hurt and I didn't have words. I found that scripture and I was reminded of that scripture. And and that's just another example of how his word, it came to life. I could have read that before. It really wouldn't have made sense. (laughs) It would not have made sense to me. But not only did it make sense, but I had experienced that. And Sometimes there are no words. Prayer was a difficult thing. Uh, Travis and I have agreed on that. We've talked about, you know, because a lot of times when we pray, especially when we pray for situations like this or somebody is, um, you know, going through something with their health, we pray for healing. Always. (laughs) We pray that they make it It, through. it's It's not even healing. It's complete healing. Right. I, I never hear a prayer request anything less than complete healing. And that's the only thing that will. Definitely. And, and, you know, I think God knows that. He knows that we, as humans, as parents, 
we could not have prayed otherwise. Right. You know, but I know that through even now, just how God has brought me to scripture like that, that explains what I've been going through, what I've been feeling. And um, that one has definitely, I guess, became special to me. Yeah, and that's it's Romans eight twenty six and twenty seven. Okay. It says, and this is the NIV version of that. It says, in the same way, this is Paul's letter to the Romans. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That's it. And He who searches our hearts, Holy Spirit, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Everything about it. Yeah. I mean, it says it so perfectly. You know, I could never explain it any better. You know, Scripture does. It, it, it says it so perfectly. But prayer was definitely a way that we leaned in to God. You know, His Word, prayer. One thing I'd like to, I guess, mention about God's love and how I know, I know we have, Travis and I have felt, um, I can specifically speak um, how I have felt that was through his people. You know, we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus and how you hear that, (laughs) you know, you know that. But that came to life for me. Not only that, but God's love and God's love through people, that became so real to me. And that was on the Sunday after John Clayton, uh, like I said earlier, he was born Monday passed away on Friday, and we buried him on Sunday. And so literally a full week, you went from life was great and fine to your baby was born suddenly, unexpectedly, and then he passes away, and then you're burying him all in. That is just abrupt. uh, All in a week. And I remember we were at, um, we had a funeral for him in our hometown, and I invited family, friends, everybody who would come. Because even though I, I realized it, I almost didn't realize it, but I knew that God was doing something. I don't even know what that something is. I think it's different for everybody who has maybe in some part of our friends, family, close network. I just invited people to come out and I wanted people to be witness to what God had not only done, but he, what he was going to do. And, um, you felt that at the time I did. I, I, I mean, that's, that's something you can see now. I get it. But in the moment I did. And I actually felt it when I was pregnant with him, which <laughs> it's very humbling. And, you know, Bible talks about too, how Mary, pondered these things on her heart when i was pregnant with john clayton who by the way is also a jc <laughs> um have a unique story about that um but there is this song it's by whitney houston <laughs> it's one of my absolute favorite christmas songs i say it's a christmas songs it's a beautiful song by her but i had heard that song years before and i loved it and I had listened to it, and I was reminded of it at some point when I was pregnant with him. I think it was because I was thinking, you know, when you're 
having your first baby, you start thinking about what they'll be like and what they'll do and all of these things. And I always, we have a friend who is a preacher. He was at that year, I believe, became a preacher that year. May have been the year before, but I think it was that year. I have to ask him. And I remember being there for that and his mom and his family were there. And I just thought, wow, how amazing as a mom to know, like, this is what your child is doing. This is what he's grown up to be as a preacher. Like, I just almost felt the pride for for her. Mm-hmm. How much pride would a mom feel? And I felt like that was like the ultimate. It'd be great if he grew up to be this or that. But for him to be a preacher, I just... So I think through that, but also kind of pondered it in my heart that he would be a preacher one day. I just thought, that's the ultimate. Like, that's amazing that if he, my son could be a preacher. And I think though, through that, I was reminded of the song by Whitney Houston. And um, it says, Mommies and Daddies always believe that their little angels are special indeed. And then it talks about they think they'll be this or that and i'm not gonna sing it. i could i could almost sing it <laughs> okay. you got the mic over there always believe that their little angels are special indeed and you could grow up to be anything but who would imagine a king So it just talks about, (laughs) you know, as a parent, I was thinking about who, of course, for Mary, who can imagine a king, right? But of course, I wasn't thinking that. But for me, the ultimate was a preacher. You know, parents think their children are going to grow up to be all of these things. And who would imagine a preacher, it's kind of what, you know, in my mind. And so that was one thing I think I had always pondered in my heart through the pregnancy. It was just um, through some quiet time. And that was one thing. I had a lot of quiet time. Really almost the entire time I was pregnant with him. Quiet time, alone time, at home, me and him. Me and him. And so it's hard to say, but I, you know, I, I pondered those things and had those thoughts. And so I just knew, it's like I knew, but I didn't know until, you know, time had gone forward and I could look back and say, even then, like I had that thought and I had that feeling and I prayed those things. Um, But I, I, I just, I felt God, I mean, strongly is not even the word, but I had invited people to, to be a part of his funeral and his life. And I wanted them to witness what God had done, but not only that, but what he was going to do, whatever that be. And of course, I had no clue, uh, still don't, <laughs> but whatever that would be, I wanted people to see us and not us, but I wanted to see God through us and everything that he had done and was going to do. And so a lot of people came it was a Sunday, a really dark day. It was foggy. It was cold. It was rainy. If there was ever a day that would describe how I was feeling that day, yeah. that was it. That was it. And it was in a small country church. It was actually the church is right by my best friend from high school's house. I had sang in that church before. 
uh, when they had some events there and um, just out in the country, kind of in the middle of nowhere, beautiful out there. There's fields all around it. And it was a really dark day in so many ways. But I remember God's power and I wanted to to stand up for him. I wanted to be a witness. I wanted others to see just God, really. And I remember what I wanted to say earlier was how that day I felt God's love through other people. There were two women specifically that I remember. A lot of people came. So, you know, I felt supported and loved by many people that came. And, but there were two women specifically that I remember. I don't remember, you know, everything exactly that they said to me. One of the, um, the ladies, I, I mainly remember just, I guess really, I remember how they, they kind of held me, how they kind of hugged me, what they how they squeezed me, how they, you know, spoke to me. And it was almost, you know, back to the power just earlier in that week, which was likely on Tuesday, and now we're at Sunday. It's like this one I would describe as an electric power. It was almost like it left them and shot out to me. <laughs> it was electric is the only way I could describe it. It was almost a shock. But just the way that they they held me and just loved me. I, I don't, you know, I don't really think it was their words. <laughs> it was just how they loved me. And I can confidently say, and I know it was through the love of everybody who had been there the day and the support that we had received, because this was after the service. So I I think it was just, just the love in general that people showed, even by being there. But it just felt like a power, like a shock. And I felt, for what I really think, for the first time ever, it was God's love. I And maybe not that, but like I knew what it was. Like I felt it even in that moment. It was almost like, what was that? <laughs> but like I knew what that was. Like that was God's love and how I could go from having just walked from my 1.7 pound baby's graveside freeze to be buried to walk from there to the church, which was a very, very short distance on this cold, dark, rainy, ugly day and feel love like that, <laughs> like just so strong and powerful. And it just reminds me of just God's love through other people and being the hands and feet of people. And really, the, I call it the power of presence. <laughs> Because I've known and I've seen how important it is to, you know, people feel like they should say something and they should do something. But just being there and just holding you and just hugging you and just loving you in that way, how powerful that is. That's more powerful than any words you could ever say to me, any card you could ever send, though those have also always came at the right times and places. But just how simple you know, it is to be, to be there for others and to love on them and care for them. But there was also another lady that day, 
same really type situation. I know where we were standing in the front little porch, little stoop area of of the church. And, you know, most people were leaving and saying goodbye. And she um, is a very powerful lady, very strong in her, her faith. And I remember her holding me and how she said it to me and just basically, you know, that something along the lines of she knew God was going to use me and that he was already using me. And she, she just spoke so much into me then and just the way that she held me and how firmly she said it. And again, felt a power to, to do what God had called me to do, though I had no idea what that meant at all. I mean, that that's not the type of thing that's going through your mind when you literally just walked from your baby's service, graveside service, to back to the church to where, you know, everybody here is leaving and that type of thing. But what I really remember mostly through those two was just being the hands and feet of Jesus and just God's love. I'd never, I'd, I always say, I'd, I don't think I'd ever experienced it or felt it like that. But I was overwhelmed by his love. And why not? Why would God not send love through his people through what was the most difficult time and moment and place that I could ever be in? And he, he loved me then. After that, it's overwhelming. <laughs> it's humbling. I'm thankful. Um, but I felt God's love so much. You mentioned two instances. One, I don't know, maybe still in the hospital or very close after, and then at and after his service where you feel like you felt a, a measurable power and presence. Had you ever felt that before or anything like that? No, <laughs> never, ever. I can't think of a time that I had really ever felt that. It's hard to even describe it. It, it took a long time to really kind of process that and reflect on that and just try to figure out how to describe it. Do you think that's people? that was God just like cutting in, just breaking in and and wrapping you up? I do. And it overwhelms me really. Just another example, I guess, of how God goes before and how he he's called you to do something maybe before you even realize it and how he is providing before you even know <laughs> what he's called you to and just it's overwhelming to me do you feel like you were in i, I got to get to something here and i got to figure out how to get to it do you feel like you were in a posture spiritually to receive God in that kind of way, 
going in and not to give yourself credit or anything like that because I know everybody doesn't want nobody wants to do that. But it's the parable of the sower in one regard. Some fell along the path. Well, the path is impacted and it, it probably sat up. It's too hard. It didn't sink down in there. It was easy for birds to come and get. Some fell on rocky ground. This is the condition of the soil. Impacted at the path, rocky ground. So when the seed fell there, it wasn't much soil there. So it sprang up real quick, but then you know, adversity hits. It just got scorched. Some fell among thorns. It's called sort of the soil that's allowed other things to grow up in it that chokes everything out. But some of the soil was prepared. It was good soil. I, in my mind, I think tilled. Something that a seed could kind of burrow down in. And when you described this earlier, you said that a, you felt the power coming. And, and it almost like it encased you which could be something that I can see God using to protect you from negative thoughts, from guilt, from over-sentimentality, and all the other things that an emotional, hormonal mother would be experiencing during this time that would suck you in and suck you down. But I think we have to, I think we play a role in that. I mean, I know God does these things, but if our heart is hardened against him, and I know he can soften us, but we have to respond in some way to him. And I know there are good people of faith and some people who are not of faith who are absolutely buried in this grief, just buried to a point they can't see a way up and out of it, that they would rather die. And they consider what needs to happen to remove them from this relentless agony that they're experiencing. So i got a couple of questions here. One, do you think you were in a position spiritually, whether you worked on reaching for God or, or God primed you for it or whatever else it is, to receive what he was giving you to protect you? I, I do feel like I was in a position to receive what was to come for mm. us, for our family, but not only that, for our our calling, our purpose, our transformation. You know, even, you know, the Bible talks about to get alone, a quiet place, quiet time, seek God. There was really nothing else I could have done. <laughs> so so to get to that place, what had happened previously to help you get to that place? We had not only individually, but as a couple, you know, been faithful in, in just our church attendance and trying to do what God, you know, wanted us to do. We wanted to do you know, what, what the Bible calls us to do. And we were seeking God and seeking to grow our faith, to um, to become stronger Christians and walk with Him and follow Him and do as He called us to do. And so that was even, you know, weeks, months, years before this happened and really specifically before it was my um you know my time alone at home and just 
had a lot of time to think and pray and, you know, seek him. And I felt like he really gave me that time to think about a lot of things, to process a lot of things. And sometimes, you know, being a parent, it encourages you to be a better person as well. And so those 23 weeks and four days that I had almost alone, so to speak, with John Clayton and being a new mom and, you know, we're growing our family and we we want our children to grow up in, in church and all of that. We, I, I do, I do see and think and feel that God was preparing us before we ever knew. Yeah, um, and he plants that seed, right? And and he he makes the first move. We love him. We love others because God first loved us. He makes the first move in our transformation. But we have to respond. We got to respond. And so that is really important. And I want to kind of circle a little bit back to that in just a minute. The other question that it comes to mind in, in, in all of this is what would you say to the parent, parents, mothers, dads, either way, who are buried, just consumed in the grief, maybe in the guilt, Maybe in the the sentimentality, the the Christmas morning thing I talked about, and being their child being robbed of these things, and them being robbed of the joy of those experiences, dreaming of them, and that sort of thing. Who whose misery, spiritual misery, emotional misery is truly relentless for them. What would you say to that person? I would say that God is close. And I know that seems very simple. But even though I felt that, I knew that, I had pondered these things, it took time for me to to reach that moment that I not only realized, but that God had been there the entire time, though it didn't feel like it sometimes, and though it hurt so badly, he was still there. And not only there, but he was waiting for me to just to seek him, to talk to him, to ask him whatever my questions were. Um, and I did do that, <laughs> but even through all that, that especially the parts that feel so bad and feel so ugly, and so I always I would just I would try to describe it to Travis because he's who I would talk to, and I couldn't really talk to anyone else. I didn't know how to describe these things, but just the grief and how it felt, it felt so physical. It felt like. I would tell Travis, it feels like I have a cancer and it's just eating me alive. And I look normal and people don't see that. We're standing in a room with all these people around me and I'm literally have this cancer that's just 
killing me, standing here, killing me from the inside. Nobody can see that. And it feels like I've been burned, like my inside just felt like ashes. It felt charred, like I was just dead and numb. And nobody could see that. Nobody knew that. Nobody knew how that felt. And I, with just human words, that's the only way I could ever describe it. I didn't really even know how to begin to describe how bad it felt, how ugly it felt, how literally physically it felt and hurt. On top of all of that, it hurt. So, you know, that's to me describing grief, especially early on and how it felt. But to now reach that place and know that even though all of that and how I felt and how we felt like God was there even then, even through that, even when we felt that way, he was there and he was ready for us to call on him and to pray to him and come to him and seek him. And so as simple as it is, I would want them to know that God is close, though you're, you know, you don't want to get out of bed, though you're in your car crying or you're at a workplace and you're hurting because you felt the loss of a child or a loved one, wherever you are, and even even if you haven't gone through that, maybe just anything you're going through. <laughs> really, it doesn't have to be, you know, the loss of a child, which is so painful, but the loss of a loved one, but maybe somebody is going through something or you're feeling unloved, you're feeling bad, you're feeling pain, you're feeling anything not good that you're feeling. Like God is close. He's cl- not only close, but he's there. He's with you. And I just, if I could make that real for somebody, the way that God made it so real to me, if I could just speak that, you know, that scripture that God is close to the brokenhearted, I I, I wish I could just almost just hold somebody the way somebody helped me and just say like, he's here, like he's really here. He's already here. That's right. And what he wants us to do can be one of the hardest things to do, but can be one of the easiest things to do. He wants us, I believe, just to turn and see him. Turn and consider him. Just to turn. You don't have to perform tremendous works of mercy and all. It, it is turn and acknowledge him. It's, it's the uh, prodigal son, right? The dad didn't go down and, and, and pull the kid out of the town and say, hey, you're, you're doing it wrong. I, I'm just going to take you out of here. He didn't do that. The son had to wake just briefly enough to turn and say, ah. and when he turned and started going, the dad ran and got him and brought him all the way. I think of the two criminals that were on either side of the cross as Jesus is Dying. And they're both bound for wherever they're bound for. And nothing's changing. They're all hanging there together, bleeding and dying a miserable death. And one of them turns and says, Lord, 
remember me. And that's all it took. That's all it took was a turn. And so I think your point is just beautiful. And it is, it is relief and hope for people who feel no relief and hope, whether they've lost a child or whether they're buried in debt or whether their marriage is in trouble or whatever it is, just like you said, whatever it is, wherever the grief and the hole in the darkness is, God is there. And he's not there at a distance. He is right there. And all he's asking is for you to turn. And he'll save you. Definitely. Um, you know, just acknowledge him. <laughs> he's already there. And it's as simple as just saying, this is not good. <laughs> this is not right. And Whatever. A, and, and you need to be there. You need to get, say that. You don't need to say, oh, it's God. It's okay. It's okay. I, I think God say, says to us, it's okay for you to not think it's okay. Right. Pour that stuff out to me, man. I, I had that for a while through the grief. I, you know, we all have those why, the, the why question. <laughs> why question mark? Why? Why me? Why this? Why that? And, you know, someone had told me kind of early on, like, we're not to question God. And so I was trying to kind of turn that off. <laughs> I was like, but I, everything about me wanted to say, why? Why? Why did you do this? Why me? Why us? Why my baby? Why? 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 And I'll never forget one day was actually in the shower a lot of times for us that's our quiet time <laughs> and I so I, I get a lot of um, prayer time in then and uh, just kind of processing some feelings and thoughts and that's what I was doing and for me through through our my grief our grief I found that the shower was the easiest place to cry out to God because and I'm sure that if you've gone through a really tough loss, painful loss. Probably understand what I'm talking about. How messy the crying can be. I mean, it's uncontrollable sobbing, tears that I, I'd never thought a human could cry like that. It's like, wow, like there's no stopping this. Like, where is this much coming from? It's like a waterfall. It's messy. And so I found. After a little while, that crying in the shower was the best place to do it. Because as the water is rushing over you, so are the tears. And it's not as messy because <laughs> you're already showering. And I know that seems a little crazy, but likely if you've been there like I have, you're probably like, that is so true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I know where I've been there because I know I can't be the only one that has discovered that. It was easier. <laughs> I would literally go through. It went, you know, tissue boxes were not enough. I went from that to like washcloths, washcloths were not enough to contain the tears, to towels. If you can imagine a towel soaked in nothing but tears, I would sit around with a towel. (laughs) So (laughs) that's hard (laughs) to describe and and to say, but that's true. (laughs) I know it's true. That was for me, you know, I had to go from tissue boxes to washcloths to towels to contain 
my tears. And at times that was not enough. So yeah, the shower was just like a, a continuous place for my tears to flow. And then when I stepped out, everybody couldn't see that. You know, they didn't see me sitting there crying. So I just found that that was the place to do it. Mm. But I remember I was just crying out to God because I, I realized, okay, well, I'm already thinking these things. <laughs> God knows my heart. He knows my mind. He knows I'm already thinking like, why? So why would I not just say it <laughs> to him? And that's what I did. I just said, God, like, I don't know if I'm supposed to ask you why. I don't know if that that's okay, but like, that's how I feel. That's what I want to say to you right now. Why? And you already know I'm thinking that and feeling that. So here it is. <laughs> Why? And it was a very, it was one of those moments that, you know, you remember and I, I was just in the shower. I was crying. I was asking why I was hurting. I mean, literally my chest, my heart, I was just asking God why. And I'll never forget just his spirit speaking to me and answering why. And though I think we'll never fully know why. And, you know, I hear people say that God, you know, always won't tell us why. You know, we'll never know some of these things until we go to heaven or he'll give us glimpses here and there. But for me, then, I think he answered my why enough to a point that it brought me peace it brought me understanding and what happened was that I now it was that I understood God's heart or maybe I I had a different understanding and perspective of his heart and his love for his children more than I could have ever understood it's like I had to feel this pain. I had to feel this loss and this love for a child who was not with me to really understand God's heart and his love for his children. And and through that time of asking God why and just calling out to him through my pain, he spoke to me, gave me peace. And I, I thought about how, you know, have the hope of seeing John Clayton again in heaven. I'll I'll get to, to see him again. I'll get to be with him. And I think what God spoke to me and reminded me of was that he will not even get that because some of his children will not accept him. And it was almost like he reminded me that like, one day in heaven, you'll get to be with your children, your baby. You'll get to be, at that time, all of your children. And I won't even get that. It's really what I felt, what I heard, what I understood about God's heart, and how people may not accept Him, and that He won't have all of His in heaven one day. And it became so real to me and important to, it was almost like I was, I wanted to help God. I wanted to tell others about him. I wanted to share the good news about him. And I, it's like, I wanted to help him, 
I know that's I don't I don't know how we could help God, but it was almost like I, I are you kidding me? <laughs> he, You're doing I, that right now. How could? Because I knew I at least had that. I had that hope, but even God won't won't have His children with Him one day, and I felt His. I think I felt his heart. I understood it. It was a different perspective. And it all just became very real to me. And how also through, I could have never understood his heart and his love for his children had I not had gone through as a mother, as a parent, the birth and the loss of a child and how badly I wanted to see him and love him. God loves us. I mean, we're his children. We're his babies, you know? And how he longs for us to be with him. And it it broke my heart. It was like, it wasn't about me anymore. (laughs) It was not about me and my pain and what I was feeling. But it turned my focus onto God. And I didn't know, and I still don't, honestly, what that means how I am to help God bring as many or all of his children to him so that he will have that. Because as a parent who had just lost a child, okay, well, what do you want now? Well, that's the hope of heaven, you know, is to, I can't be with him on this earth. He's not with me, but one day you'll get to, to be with him again, and you have that hope. And so it was amazing how in that moment I went from just, it was all about me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was all about my why and my pain and just take this from me. But before he answered that, and really through his answer, it's amazing how God can do that, but I first received peace and calmness and comforting for what I was going through and what I was asking. But then it was like, now think about this. And now I went from being heartbroken for myself to being heartbroken for God. And just even in that moment, I wanted so badly and just trying to figure out like, how can I help him? How can I tell others about him? How can I? I know I can't do it. You know, I know he can, but how can I do my part to help him have as many of his babies, you know, in heaven with him one day? And I knew then that I guess that was my why. Hmm. If, If anything, to have that perspective of... You know, how God's heart breaks and how God loves his children. It's hard for us, I think, to see us as his children and his babies until you think about your own children and how even at seven and 10 and 20 and 30 years old, they'll always be your children. They'll always be your babies. You see them as a baby. That's what you knew them as. You you see them as your babies. And I know it's hard for us to think about it that way. And it sounds a little, 
I don't really know what the word would be, but to really see ourselves as God sees us, as his babies, his precious creation, it's very humbling, I think. It's all through scripture. To think that I'm a 36-year-old person at this point in time, and I'm God's baby. You are his child. I'm his child. And he loves you more than you can ever imagine. As much as you love John Clayton, as much as I love my kids, it's nothing compared to that. And it's hard to imagine because we feel that in our core. That's a really interesting perspective, and it amazing to hear how it turned from your grief to his grief and what you could do about his grief. That's really good. That's really good. You know, and I, an observation as I sit and listen to all of this, uh, one thread that seems to have run through all of it for me listening to you, and especially after you stopped with the other job and as you were preparing your business and just that closeness time with you and John Clayton before he was born, is that you never stopped spending, it doesn't seem like it, you never stopped spending time with God. It may have changed, did it change up and down? But I mean, when I look through it and, and you describe each phase of it, I think we undervalue as Christians, people who already believe, I think I think we just try to do the bare minimum and we often just try to cross the line of, okay, now I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And that's really as far as I need to worry about going. The rest of this, I can just keep doing the things I'm doing or whatever. And people don't realize that that's just the beginning. There's a whole beautiful spiritual life that's available to us right now. And so I think it causes us not to spend time with God. I think we're too busy to spend time with God. It's like, oh, gosh, prayer. Ugh. I hadn't done that in a while. It's like, how do you, what do you mean you haven't done that in a while? I mean, would you treat food and water that way? It's like, oh, gosh, it's been so busy. I haven't had a chance for like a couple of weeks to eat or drink. And when we realize that God is, is who he is, and we can only comprehend maybe uh, uh, one two billionth of what we actually could see potentially. So we don't even we, – we're just hovering on the outskirts of who God really is. But if we could just get a glimpse of even a, a piece of that, I think we would say, what am I doing? Why have I prioritized anything in my life, anything in the world over closeness to him? And we just kind of mail it in, I think, when it comes time to spend time with God. And the people I see with more mature spiritual walks are like, that is, that's more important than food. I think that's what Jesus was telling Satan when he said, turn these rocks into bread. And he's like, dude, man doesn't live by bread alone. He only lives by the words of God. Every word that comes from the Father. And that's true. And when you begin to see that, you realize that's the most important thing. But yet we don't pray. Yet we don't spend time with God. We don't get into Scripture, which is His Word. And one of the things I think I'm saying that I saw throughout most of this conversation was, and I'm sure you didn't do it perfectly. I get it, right? None of us do. And even at the end, he's like, I don't even know what to pray to you. I don't even know what to say to you. Well, 
I'll be honest with you. That is a beautiful prayer because you're telling him that. And I think he digs that. I think he wants that. I think he starving for that. It's talking to God. It's time with God. It's time with God. And I think that time with God is a continuous thing. You know, sometimes when we talk about prayer and um, relationship with Him and spending time with Him, though, yes, we should take time, you know, in a quiet room, quiet place, and seek Him and read His Word and reach out to Him. But it's a continuous, all day, every day thing. It's a, you know, so it's not always an eloquent prayer. It it doesn't always sound formal and beautiful and it's very real it's just god in this moment this does not feel good god in this moment i just need you god where are you god please help me a lot of those are very short they're 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 a call to god it but that's a continuous thing it's a daily thing it's an all day thing it's a continuous I guess awareness of knowing that God, God, I know you're there. That's it. Like I don't, I'm not understanding this, but like, can you help me? Yeah, and I don't even think you got to talk to him. I think one of the cool transitions that we make is when we just become aware of His presence. When I'm sitting there talking to somebody in the um, waiting room, uh, waiting area of a restaurant. It's just being aware of his presence. I don't have to like disregard the person. I don't have to go into prayer and start talking to God back and forth. But it's just like I see God in you. I see God in love. I see I see God's presence here. And it's it's a yeah, it's a constant thing. It's it's a constant awareness of God's presence. And if you feel like you need to say something to him, you should say something to him. Right. But that, that's a big deal. And that's what I feel like I've seen throughout this because when we talk about you being I ask you if you felt like you were tilled ground to be able to uh, have God come and put this sheath around you. I mean, I think he, he's walking with us wherever we are, but you didn't stop hanging out with God. He didn't stop hanging out with me. <laughs> yeah. You got no choice on that, right? He didn't stop right. hanging out with anybody, right? but it's important that we respond that way. And um, I, I've, I've seen you do that, and I in in your prayers about John Clayton as a preacher, and your visions of that are really cool and amazing. And what you're doing today, I'm just gonna tell you, John Clayton is preaching today through his mama. I've been overwhelmed about that um, sometimes. Because as a mom who had pondered that in her heart, it was almost determined to help him preach his message um, pretty early on. I felt that I should, whenever given the opportunity to share his story, to share his message, to tell about him, what I've learned through him about God, it's it's very unique and hard to put into words. Um, but I have over time felt as a mom that I would do everything in my power to help him and um, 
to preach the message and um, just be his mouthpiece. Um, you know, he's not here to do it. But as his mom, I want to help him. I, I think that's what we do as parents. We want to help our children and help them do, you know, what what God has for their lives. And I've really, all along the way, been open to sharing at any opportunity. And that's why I said earlier, as hard as our story is, I get excited when given the opportunity to share it. But I've definitely felt that though I don't have the perfect words and can't always describe, you know, my feelings and my thoughts and and what has happened through our lives, I am to to share and help him preach his message. Well, you have been a really good steward of the story and the experiences that you have been given. And I'm thankful that you chose to come here and share in this way. Uh, God is with you. <laughs> I just got to tell you. Yeah, I, I have the privilege. We don't do this on YouTube, so there's no video or whatever. And, and it's probably to the detriment of people who are listening because you get a chance to see people uh, speaking what's in their heart and seeing God move through them. And Crystal's got, you just can see, you can see things. Um, you can see light coming from people. And Crystal has that light and when she speaks. And I think you can hear it too, but uh, I hate that everybody else can't see that as well. And I know that the people that are around her do. That's why people have reached out and, and mentioned you and that sort of thing. But it's just really special here for you to come and bring all of that and your pictures and the presence of God through all of this for the purpose of sharing it with others so that they can just turn, just turn toward it, toward him. And um, I, I, I can't thank you enough. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about? that you'd like to mention? Yes. <laughs> um, really also that, you know, God has blessed us with a daughter almost exactly a year later. Um, mm. And, um, you know, we're so thankful to to raise a child on earth. And she is, she's just the joy in our life. And, um, I want people to know just that, you know, God has blessed us as well through all of this continuously, loved on us, comforted us, provided in more ways than I could ever probably have time to share with others. But I really just, I wanted to to share about our daughter. Her name is Juliana Catherine, and she um, is also a JC. John Clayton was a JC, and a quick little funny story about that. I say it's funny, but uh, when we were thinking about names and everything, and we came to that name really just a few weeks before he was born, because really, you know, we thought we had a lot more time for all of this, but um, it ended up being just a, a little while before he was born, but Travis actually woke me up 
early in the morning. It was probably like 4 a.m. And I was asleep on the couch because that's the only way I could get comfortable <laughs> in sleeping as a pregnant mom. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I just remember him kind of saying to me, like, what about John Clayton? And I was asleep. I was like, okay, yeah, I like that. I love the double name. And so, and sometime after that, my, like, I loved it. And I love that it was a double name, but I did not want him to be called JC. And so that was like a big thing for me. And I remember sharing that with Travis and I think probably some others. And really, it wasn't until he was born and passed away. And I think it was probably still within the month of December, which is when everything happened. I remember the moment, but I don't remember exactly how I came to the realization, likely through the Bible, because that's where I was. I realized that Jesus Christ was JC. And I was mad at myself at that moment. I was just thinking, the one thing you were worried about is people calling him <laughs> JC. And what an honor and what a privilege for him to have the exact same initials as Jesus Christ. But I was, I was mad at myself in that moment. And so that became. I guess in a way something special for us that JC, I then loved it. <laughs> I then loved the JC and that became very special to us. And we knew that we would want our future children to share those initials. And so in having a little girl, you know, trying to come up with a name for her. And so we were able to decide on Juliana Catherine, which was also a JC. And so we just love that, <laughs> you know, now, um, like I said, I, I didn't, at first, but now I do. And so that's been a special thing. And Travis is actually Jordan, so he's Jay. And then I'm Crystal with the C. So uh-huh. it's just neat how the names have <laughs> all came to be. But we could have never, you know, planned that and yeah, you... been that creative. But, you know, God always knows his ways are better that than ours. That stuff is so... not an accident. No. But, you know, if you believe in the spiritual life, that's just a, those are just things that make you smile. Definitely. Um, knowing how things are operating in uh, in a place that we can't see and that we don't fully understand. But every now and then it breaks in and hits us in such a way that we realize that there, there's no way <laughs> that that's not, that that's not real. Right. So that's, um, that's pretty cool. And so instead of being mad, you're just like, ah, I get it. Now I'll go with the flow. <laughs> okay. Sorry, God. I didn't mean to. <laughs> well, Crystal Buck, I have so, enjoyed this conversation spiritual dialogue with a spiritual person is just the best and sometimes it takes us into territory that is painful and emotional and that's okay right because that's pain life is painful and emotional Uh, but there's also a tremendous amount of beauty in it when you begin to turn and see god's presence and that's what you described to us today and it's just a blessing it's just such a blessing to be able to sit here and have that conversation um, so I just I can't thank you enough I can't thank you enough (laughs) thank you I think what strikes me the most about Crystal's experience is that yeah she questioned God with all the whys but her confidence and faith in God and his goodness seemed to never shake those things seemed to be givens and I think that's the case because she had a solid spiritual foundation before the storm The lesson for us? Spend time with God now. And don't fall for the, I'll do it one of these days, lie. 
The peace that comes from time with God is beautiful in good times and transformative in the tough times. Thank you for joining us today on A Stronger Faith. We hope you'll be able to enjoy some Season 1 episodes you may have missed over the next few weeks as we're working on Season 2. To access all episodes, to recommend a guest, which we need, to connect with us, or to support this ministry, please visit astrongerfaith.com. We're excited about what lies ahead, and we ask for your prayers as we look to follow God's calling faithfully. Until the beginning of Season 2, we pray for peace and a stronger faith for you and those you love.